from Public Radio. Preventing Truth Decay. Harrison's Reality Check. Kerry Harrison here. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards, all while ferreting out the bottom line. Harrison's Reality Check. And this is Reality Check, and this is Greg Pallast sitting in for Kerry Harrison, who is uh, somewhere in Germany doing some research for his hilarious new autobiography, Nazi Finishing School. Now, don't touch that dial, because this is going to be one heck of a show with the economic hitman himself, John Perkins, author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And uh, he'll be following up on the story of... uh, of one of our one of the most astonishing, horrifying, inspiring, terrifying stories you will ever hear. This is the story of human rights lawyer Steve Donziger, who will be sentenced to prison on Friday. Sentenced to prison? Say what? A human rights lawyer? Yep. Steve Donziger committed the crime. Are you ready for this? Of suing, successfully sh- suing Chevron Oil on behalf of the indigenous Kofan natives of the Ecuadorian rainforest in the Amazon. Steve Donziger sued Chevron, and as a result, and he won a $9.5 billion judgment, and as a result, he is facing prison time. We're going to tell you about that. In fact, we're hoping to get uh, Steve on the line before he's sent off in chains to the Huskow to tell you the story of what's going on in Ecuador and why he's facing prison time for the crime of defending these, uh, the, the Kofan indigenous group. Now, this is Greg Pallast, uh, who you've probably heard or seen on Democracy Now! and several times on KPFK, my own station. I'm a member, and hope you are too. Um, I am the, uh, you may know me as the man in the hat, the author of The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. But I got to tell you right now that one of the reasons I'm doing this story is that I was part of it. I actually went to the Amazon in 2007 for BBC Television, where I was an investigative reporter, and for a program called Democracy Now!, and took a canoe up the Amazon, a dugout log, I kid you not, and met with uh, the chief of the COFAN in the middle of the rainforest in Ecuador. His name was uh, Emergio Criollo, his Spanish name. And um, he told me, that his three-year-old son had gone swimming in a pool in the jungle, in, in the rainforest, you know, in a nice little cool pool, three-year-old kid, and he sees the water shiny and beautiful. He goes in and comes out vomiting blood and dies in his father's arms. And shortly after that, his older brother dies of leukemia. Kids are literally dropping dead of leukemia all over the Kofan region. And why? Why? Because there was oil sludge in that pool. It was dumped there by Texaco, a unit of Chevron oil. In addition, the leukemias, we have doctors who who, uh, were measuring this and found that it was an epidemic of leukemia, again caused by the sludge. And if you go to gregpalace.com, you can actually see the film and meet Chief Criollo, and meet the the farmers in the region who have pustules all over their bodies. It's pretty rough to watch. But this is what was happening and is happening in that 
jungle. Chief Criollo, and this again, this is Greg Palace, I went with him when he went to a courtroom in the middle of the rainforest. There's a little you know, roustabout town for the oil workers called, um, um, it's actually called a Sour Lake in Spanish. And they have a little courthouse, and the chief, I went with the chief, and he showed up. He's wearing feathers and war paint, naked from the chest up, and of course, all the, you know, the bureaucrats are sitting there in the courtroom. They're, they're all laughing. This guy is there to sue Chevron Oil's Texaco unit for the murder of his son, the poisoning and death of his kids and the other kids in the region, and for destroying the native lands. And they're laughing. Well, they stopped laughing. That was 2007. They stopped laughing in, in 2011 when... They won the suit when Chief Criollo and the Cofan won their suit, won a $9.5 billion judgment against Chevron Texaco. $9.5 billion judgment in which the court ordered them to clean up the jungle and pay the families for the people you slaughtered. And that's not, uh, that's no exaggeration. Now, why did Chief Criollo, how could he possibly take on Chevron? The answer is he had a secret weapon. A lawyer in America who was helping his Ecuadorian team, a lawyer in America named Stephen Donziger. Remember that name, Stephen Donziger. Donziger graduated from Harvard Law School. We got Don- <laughs> Okay, we're getting Donziger. Uh, um, Donziger had graduated from Harvard Law School with Barack Obama, but instead of cashing in or making a political career or the other things that uh, the rulers, uh, the ruling class uh, does when they've been polished off, uh, polished for us at Harvard Law, he has spent his entire life working for nothing, for peanuts, for sur- just on survival, to represent for three decades now the co-fan of Ecuador. And I have to tell you that when I did that story for Stephen, and he's going to tell you what happened, how he, how he, instead of Chevron, ended up in prison. Now, one thing I want to tell you is that Chevron says, oh, we didn't do it. I actually talked to the Chevron lawyers. And again, this is Greg Palace, and you're listening to Reality Check, normally sitting in for, I'm sitting in for Kerry Harrison. So I went to Chevron, and I talked to their lawyers. And they said, oh, there's no evidence that you can't say that it's our oil. In fact, they said, what? And, and I'm quoting, and this is the only cases of cancer in the world. When I showed them the scientific studies saying that, that they were causing um, um, an epidemic of leukemia cancers among kids. This is the only case of cancer in the world. How many case, uh, cases of children with cancer do you have in the States? No one has proved, this is what the lawyer said, that oil poisoning causes cancer. Really? Um, and then you'd have to prove it's our oil. Now, how come, why was the evidence missing? Well, I found a document, a document that was signed by the Jefe de la Junta de Texaco, in other words, the president of Texaco, who told the, their Ecuadorian oil workers to remove all copies of dumping of sludge in the jungle, which is illegal in the United States. You go to prison for that. But he said, remove all the documents and destroy them. Destroy them. In the United States, now, if, you do, if those who don't know Greg Palace, before as investigative reporter, I was an investigator for the United States Justice Department, several attorneys general. I'm telling you, this is what we put people in prison for for a very long time, what the president of Chevron did. Number one, illegal dumping of sludge. 
Number two, obstruction of justice. So why isn't the head of Chevron Texaco in prison? And why is Steve Donziger facing prison? And now I'd like to introduce, really, one of the great heroes of the environmental movement, the great human rights lawyer, Steve Donziger. Steve, are you with us? I am, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so tell me, why are you going to prison or facing a possible prison sentence? And in fact, I would note, as, uh, as, as Steve can mention, he's already actually been two years under house arrest, you know, with one of those ankle bracelets, as if he's like El Chapo and is going to flee the country. Um, this is crazy. He's got a wife and kids, you know. Uh, but this, this, welcome to America here. Um, you join the ranks of some very uh, courageous people like Chelsea Manning. Why are you facing, you've already been two years in house imprisonment. Why are you facing charges now? Why are you possibly going to prison on Friday? Well, thank you. I hope you can hear me. I mean, you know, in a nutshell, um, Chevron is prosecuting me. I'm the victim of the country's first corporate prosecution. Um, I'm charged by a judge with criminal contempt of court for refusing appropriately, I believe, to turn over my computer and cell phone to Chevron, um, devices that, of course, have tremendous amount of confidential uh, attorney-client protected information. Um, and Judge Kaplan, who's a tobacco judge, charged me criminally um, with contempt of court for refusing to comply with an illegal order that I had appealed. Um, he took his charge to the U.S. Attorney's Office of federal prosecutor who refused to prosecute me, concluded the charges were baseless or not worth the effort. Um, and then Judge Kaplan, the tobacco lawyer, appointed a private law firm to prosecute me in the name of the government. He hid the fact that the law firm had Chevron as a client. The name of the law firm, by the way, is Seward and Kissel. The lead private prosecutor against me is a woman named Rita Glavin. Um, and they... Wait, I want to stop you right there because I really want people to understand this. Okay? Understand. So Steve Donziger, this human rights lawyer that we're speaking to on the line now, he wins a $9.5 million judgment against Chevron for killing people in the Amazon, literally killing people, destroying the Amazon. They're ordered by an Ecuadorian court. Just so you know, Chevron hasn't paid a dime they, they snuck all their assets out of Ecuador, and then they went to a U.S. court and shopped around. I mean, Chevron's a California corporation, but they find a judge in New York and come up with cockamamie grounds to go after Steve Donziger to make a point. Now, understand what, uh, what the particular charge is, is that he wouldn't turn over his computer, cell phone, etc. No lawyer, no sane lawyer with any integrity, would ever do that. And if you find out the names of insiders, of witnesses, etc., in Latin America, that could be a death sentence for those people. To turn your personal stuff over to Chevron Corporation, so he wouldn't. And normally, just so you know, if a lawyer does something like that, sometimes the judge will get peed off and will charge you a, a thousand or two thousand dollar fine, or maybe if they're really angry, they'll put you in the hooskow for a night. But... This is the first time ever. We've never, ever in American history had a lawyer enchained electronically in his home for two years on a contempt charge. It's a, uh, it's a technical thing. And the only one 
that's facing a prison sentence. This is he's talking about going to a federal pen. Now understand, and he, and that's when it gets really bad. I want you to hear again what he has said and explain this. Now, for the first time in American history, there's a corporate prosecution. The Trump Justice Department, believe it or not, they would not charge Steve Donziger with a crime of criminal contempt. They thought it was ridiculous. They laughed it out of the Justice Department. So the judge, instead of saying, okay, well, I guess I overreached, instead he appointed a private prosecutor. Guess what? Chevron's own lawyers. No kidding. So you have, a, for the first time in American history, you have a corporation doing a criminal prosecution of a human rights lawyer of any, this is the first time a corporation has ever um, prosecuted any U.S. citizen for, on a criminal charge. And understand, you say, well, no jury would go along with that. Well, Kaplan, this judge, would not allow a jury trial. Forget the Constitution, which says you're entitled to a jury trial if you're going to face prison time. Forget that. So this is, we have never seen anything like this. And I just want you to know, by the way, it's not just me outraged. 60 Nobel Prize winners have written the court, said this is outrageous. We have uh, AOC and several Congress people, senators, who are backing Steve Donziger. This is an outrage of the worst order. And by the way, Steve, I will be there with you on Friday in New York, and I'll be reporting next week on Reality Check. And again, you're listening to uh, Kerry Harrison's Reality Check with Greg Palace sitting in on KPFK 90.7 on your dial next Tuesday. Stay for the report and you'll get all the information from this kangaroo trial sentencing. So tell me about this, Steve. What are you facing on Friday? Well, the maximum penalty she can give me is six months in jail. Yeah. Um, I'll mention that no lawyer in New York for the offense that I've been convicted of, and again, I assert my innocence, uh, um, she wouldn't give me a jury, and after locking me up for two years, she quote-unquote convicted me after not letting me defend myself. In any event, um, she can put me in the jail for up to six months, the longest sentence ever given a lawyer convicted of that offense in New York in history is 90 days of home confinement. Um, I've already served over eight times that amount. So, you know, the obvious proper thing to do would be to release me based on time served and let me return to my work as a human rights advocate. Let me get my passport back. Let me get my freedom back. Let me travel again. And let me continue advocating. But, you know, I'm not so sure she's going to do that because the game plan for Judge Prescott and Chevron is to keep me under restriction for as long as possible. So I don't know, I don't know what she's going to do. I truly don't know. I'll find out Friday, but it's certainly possible I'll walk into court Friday and I, I won't be coming home that night. I don't know. Wow. And you have a family. I have a a wife, Laura Miller, and my 15-year-old son, Matthew, just started high school. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough. I hope he's proud of you. Well, I hope he is, too, you know. But, I mean, it's, and I think he is, but it's, um, you know, he doesn't have the full use of his father. You know, his father is has an ankle bracelet. His father can't go out. You know, his father can't take him to the park or to games without, you know, can't do anything without court permission, 48 hours in advance. So I, I can't be a full father to my son, but, of course, we do what we can, and we try to create a level of happiness every day here in, in, within the four walls of our small home. 
and I think we do a good job. But, you know, we're, we're strong, and we're not letting them demoralize us or get us down. In many ways, locking me up has made us stronger and built this up bigger. And uh, I think more people know about this than ever before, largely because Chevron and the Judge Kaplan and Judge Prescott have so overreached. I mean, this is so you know, patently absurd, having a corporate prosecution in America and locking up a lawyer that, um, I, you know, I, I personally feel more support than I've ever had from around the world. And that's a good thing. By the way, you're listening to human rights lawyer Stephen Donziger, who won the $9 billion judgment against Chevron. They haven't paid a penny, but they figured out how to get Steve Donziger, who we're listening to, um, convicted of contempt of court. It's a bogus, I can tell you, by the way, because I've done tons of litigation, big major litigation for the U.S. Justice Department. Never heard of anything like this. I can see why justice would not prosecute you. Uh, So you're listening again to Steve Donziger. If you want more of the information about Steve, go to gregpalace.com, and you can see my original reports from the Amazon on Chevron's destruction at gregpalace.com that I did for BBC Television and Democracy Now! Now, Democracy Now! has covered this, and the Pacifica radio stations, KPFK, we're here on now, but the so-called mainstream, the petroleum broadcast system, and the other outlets have not covered this astonishing case, despite 60 Nobel Prize um, winners saying, please... Get the leg irons off Stephen Donziger. Stephen, why aren't we getting real press coverage about this unprecedented, horrific action? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we are getting a, a tremendous amount of fabulous coverage from independent journalists like yourself and, you know, Chris Hedges and The Intercept and Nation, um, Katie Halper, Will Menneker podcast, but the big media totally ignored this. I mean, I, I we have pitched seven different reporters at the New York Times. You know, they can't even make the 20-minute walk from their newsroom in New York to my apartment. And in the meantime, they're covering all sorts of human rights violations against lawyers in other countries around the world, like Myanmar, um, Turkey, Saudi Arabia. Um, So, you know, Chevron's a major advertiser, you know, there. And Chevron's, one of Chevron's uh, main lawyers against me also works for the New York Times. The paper's conflicted. It's sad. I mean, I, I don't think the New York Times is a very strong institution anymore in terms of standing up to the fossil fuel industry. Well, let me throw uh, in something else. Again, this is Greg Pals. I'm talking to human rights lawyer Stephen Donziger. And I should say that when I did the story for BBC Television, we had a, an agreement with um, ABC. They wouldn't touch the story. Doc- Democracy Now! picked it up. Uh, ran my story. But also, I contacted PBS and said, this is, you know, this is, uh, you know, and and, uh, they have a front line, etc. This story about the Kofan natives being poisoned and this incredible case that was brought against them, years of work, a million pages of documentation. I was there. I, I actually went to those sludge pits Again, that would be a crime, a felony crime in the United States to dump toxic sludge. The only company I know that's actually been convicted of that is um, uh, Coke Oil. And, um, but PBS, the news hour wouldn't touch it. But maybe that's because if you, at that time in, in, uh, in 2007, in that period, in 2010-11, if you went to the PBS website for the news hour, right above the PBS logo was the Chevron logo. Chevron is the, is the main 
national sponsor of the PBS NewsHours, which has now become the Petroleum Broadcast System. And that's why you're listening to KPFK Pacifica, not brought to you by Chevron. But, you know, this was literally their, they own, they own that media, the so-called public broadcast system, become Petroleum Broadcast System. That's one of the things that we're finding here. So, so Steve, um, what type of support have you gotten? Well, I've gotten a lot of support. I mean, let's start with the fact that 68 Nobel laureates have signed a statement demanding my release and dismissal of the charges. 37 bar associations um, around the world, uh, you know, thousands of citizens have signed up to our campaign, and environmental groups and human rights groups like Amnesty International, Global Witness, Amazon Watch, um, Rainforest Action Network, um, have all, and so many others have all stepped up to support me. Including lots of fabulous, very prominent lawyers like the two lawyers representing me pro bono, Marty Garbus, who used to represent Nelson Mandela and mm-hmm. Cesar Chavez and Daniel Ellsberg and Ron Kuby, um, two great lawyers here in New York, Rick Friedman out of Seattle, well, um, uh, John Kecker in San Francisco, Craig Smyzer in Houston. All of these are lawyers who work for pro bono on the case or for very low rates as a way to help me and the Ecuadorian people. So, you know, I feel hugely supported. I feel like while my physical world has shrunk dramatically, my connectivity to the broader world has increased exponentially just because of the amount of support I'm getting. So, you know, that's great. It's, it's, it's fortifying, it's strengthening, and it, it really lifts the spirits of me and my family. And it ultimately allows us, it allows us to sleep at night. It allows us to be in re- live in relative peace even with the uncertainty of the ankle bracelet and not knowing when it's going to come off. Oh, boy. Um, I should note, by the way, that I have a dog in this game because after I did the report for Democracy Now! on BBC television, Chevron Oil went after me, Greg Pallast, as a BBC reporter. There's no First Amendment in England, though I've suggested they can use, you know, they can take ours because we don't use it. But um, there's no First Amendment, so they attacked me in, they tried to get me fired from BBC. I went through a year of hearings against Chevron Oil, until I was cleared that I was somehow biased against them. I gave them all the airtime that they wanted to tell their story, and all they did was literally chuckle when I told them about the deaths of the young children, like Chief Emmer Hildo's son. They were literally laughing. I kid you not. And you can see this on the film at gregpalace.com. So I want to ask you, they, you know, so Chevron never paid. What, what is the condition? What's the situation for the COFAN indigenous people in Ecuador right now? vis-a-vis uh, the oil mess there? Well, it's terrible. I mean, you know, you travel around the region. My last trip was, you know, two and a half years ago, and I visited a bunch of communities, and the levels, the cancer rates are skyrocketing. There's no health care system to deal with the magnitude of the problem. Um, Chevron has completely turned its backs on the people it poisoned. Um, hundreds, if not thousands, have died. Nobody knows the precise number because... There's never been a study done. Wait, let, let me let me repeat that. You said hundreds of thousands have died. People have to understand. No, 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 Wait, hundreds, sorry. if not thousands. thousands. Oh, oh, hundreds, if not thousands. Okay, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah but that's, yeah. if it's your kid, that's a lot right there. No, no, no. And, 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 and rates of childhood leukemia. I'm talking about babies, six months old, one year old, two years old. You don't see babies with leukemia, you know, 
around the world. You know, you, and by the way, should I let, let me just add something there, Steve? It's not just your opinion. You're a lawyer. But I got the studies from several professors of medicine who yeah. said that they've never seen anything like this. It's leukemia is like going through the kids there like chicken pox. But you have to understand, sludge oil, it's hard for people to imagine what it's like when, you're in t- when all the water around you that you drink, that you swim in, has hydrocarbon poisoning. It's hard to imagine. And I've seen this, you know, by the way, this isn't Chevron's first uh, uh, pony ride with uh, dumping sludge. I was in the Gulf of Mexico and a lot of the, you know, after the Deepwater Horizon blew out. And let me tell you something. Um, a lot of when uh, um, Anderson Cooper was lifting uh, dead birds covered with oil out of the water. I found out that that wasn't from the Deepwater Horizon. That sludge was always there at Grand Gulf. Dropped by Chevron. Chevron was the number one polluter. They they were dumping three million barrels of oil into the Gulf every year. This is Chevron, okay, and into the. It, this is in America, but they but nothing in America is like what they're doing to the Cofan. Have you heard from the Cofan about uh, what has their uh, reaction been to uh, your impending possible imprisonment on, again, Steve Donsger is with us, the human rights lawyer facing imprisonment on Friday. He'll be sentenced. He's already been under two years of house arrest. His crime, standing up to Chevron and winning a $9 billion judgment against Chevron Oil, and they got him. So uh, have you heard from, uh, from the Cofan or others in the rainforest? Yeah, so, you know, a bunch of groups down there have contacted me. They've sent videos of support, letters of support. Um, you know, look, the, the COFAN are incredibly resilient people, but they've been absolutely pummeled by Chevron and the oil contamination. I mean, many of them have fled deeper into the rainforest to get away from, you know, the area where the pollution is. And, you know, I want to remind people that, Chevron built its very first well in Ecuador right smack dab in the middle of Kofan territory. And they, as a result of finding oil right there, they built a whole town around the first well called Lago Agrio, means Sour Lake. And they just essentially stole indigenous land for their town and for their oil wells, and they polluted the territory tremendously. And they displaced thousands and thousands of people. Many have passed away. Many have moved away. The whole culture has been weakened, um, if not decimated. There, there are a couple of small Kofan communities left that are super tight-knit where the people are struggling to survive, and, and frankly, they're incredibly courageous and resilient and powerful people. But it's, the impact has been devastating. And, you know, well, you yes. go to this town called Sour Lake or Lago Agrio. I've Ecuador, been there. And like, if you, don't, if you don't know the history, you're like, oh, this is just like a little oil town in the Amazon. It's actually a town built on stolen Kofan indigenous territory. Well, let me, yeah, let me uh, cut in there because I was there, and um, Chief Criollo was telling me that that the that here's how they got the land. You know, we you know we talk about the twenty four dollars in trinkets to buy Manhattan. That was a high price compared to what Texaco paid for uh, the oil rights in the Kofan area. He said that they came down in helicopters. And they're talking to the Kofan in Spanish, which the Kofan at that time, no one knew 
Spanish, right? They, they speak Kofan, and uh, or uh, Shuar, I think, is their language. Uh, but the um, uh, so they didn't know what they were talking about. But then they gave them uh, some knives. They gave them some cheese, and the and the chief told me, well, we you know the cheese smelled funny, throw, so we threw it in the jungle which is, by the way, the name of a chapter in my book, Vulture's Picnic. So he just said, they gave us his cheese. He's like, what is this? They just threw it in the jungle. And suddenly, you know, the Texaco says, well, these, these um, Kofan have agreed to give us the oil rights and the use of their property. And they even said, and believe it or not, they even said, here, look, the oil, see, this is oil. It's no problem. In fact, if you rub it on your arms, it will cure any pains that you have. They literally told the Kofan, rub the oil on your arms and it will cure your ills. Um, they're, they're, they're cute little joke. Uh, but this is no longer a joke. Again, we are talking with Steve Donziger, the human rights lawyer, who's facing sentencing in New York for um, criminal contempt for the crime, really, of, um, of winning a $9 billion case against Chevron for um, environmental destruction and basically killing indigenous people. And uh, that'll be on Friday. I'll be there and I'll report back to you. And this is Carrie Harrison's Reality Check. This is Greg Pallast sitting in for uh, Carrie Harrison. And normally every Tuesday I give you a six-minute uh, fact injection. This is kind of the the 10, 10 of those to 60 minutes of fact injection. And by the way, stay tuned because I know that Steve has to leave us in a minute and uh, we're going to take a break here. And on the other side of the break, we're going to have Steve's friend, a guy who lived in Ecuador for a very long time, with the two odd jobs of being both Peace Corps and a spy for the National Security Agency. John Perkins, the economic hitman himself, will be joining us in a minute. Steve Donziger, you are a great American hero. And I'll be there with you on Friday and reporting back. For KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles and the Pacifica Radio Network, thank you very much, Steve. Thank you, Greg. And just real quick, if anyone sure. wants to help or learn more, go to our website at yes. freedonziger.com. Freedonziger.com. That's a free, and then Donziger, D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R, freedonziger.com. Get that information. Also, go and watch that film from the Amazon that I did for BBC and Democracy Now! at gregpalast.com. And we'll keep reporting. Steve, I'll be there with you on Friday. Stay tuned for Steve's friend, associate, and uh, the economic hitman himself, John Perkins. And this is Greg Palast. Sitting in for Kerry Harrison, who's in Germany somewhere uh, doing research for his uh, hilarious autobiography, Nazi Finishing School. Uh, you may know me uh, for my work with Democracy Now!, BBC Television, as the author of The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. But that ain't nothing compared to the guy we're about to hear, John Perkins, who is known as uh, the economic hitman. He, he wrote the, uh, the astonishing bestseller, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And by the way, he has out a new book that I want to discuss because we're going to be picking up the story of Stephen Donziger, as you heard uh, prior in a minute, um, a, an astonishing book called Touching the Jaguar that just came out with from BK Press. Please um, take a look at that book. If you loved Confessions of an Economic Hitman, this is the next 
level. It's what happens when an economic hitman um, dives deeper into into the jungle and into his own uh, into his own soul. It's a tremendous story, and I'm thrilled to have John Perkins on. John, are you with us? John Perkins. I am. I'm right here, Greg. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. Now uh, we were just talking in the, uh, the first uh, half of the hour to um, Stephen Donziger. And I'm going to repeat this a bit for those who missed it. He was the he's the human rights lawyer who is about to be sentenced to prison on Friday in New York. I'll be there. And what's his crime? What has this human rights lawyer done? He brought a case and won a nine billion dollar judgment against Chevron Corporation on behalf of the Cofan indigenous group in Ecuador. And for Chevron's Texaco unit literally poisoning kids, causing a mass outbreak of leukemia, literally poisoning kids. The, the, the chief Criollo, who I was with in the Amazon there, I was with him when he brought a suit of, over the death of his three-year-old son who went into a swing hole, came up vomiting blood and died in his arms because there was oil sludge dumped illegally by Texaco, the Chevron unit in Ecuador. Chevron's paid nothing, but they went after Steve Donziger, and he's about, he's been under house arrest for two years for criminal contempt. This never happened in American history, ever. Two years for, for you know, uh, some cockamamie, uh, his refusal to turn over his private computer, which has the names of whistleblowers, to Chevron Corporation, and he's been prosecuted by Chevron Corporation. The judge, when he couldn't get the Justice Department to prosecute Steven Donziger, instead... He actually got Chevron's lawyers to act as the prosecutor, denied Stephen Donziger a jury trial. So he's been convicted by this kangaroo court. Never in American history has a private citizen been prosecuted by corporate lawyers, ever. That's what's happening here. And now we have John Perkins, who actually has known Stephen Donziger for quite some time. And if you read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and if you read the wonderful new book, Touching the Jaguar, by John Perkins, uh, you'll know about his own history in Ecuador. Can you give us a little of that? Wait, by the way, you were Peace Corps and NSA. Explain that. What what happened here? Tell me how you got into Ecuador and, of course, how you got out. John? Do we did John fall oh, out? Sorry, sorry, <laughs> I, I had you on mute. <laughs> okay, yeah, about so Ecuador. I, yeah, I uh, I graduated from business school in uh, 1968, and uh, I'd been recruited by the National Security Agency. Um, I'd gone through, through all their lie detector tests and so on and so forth, and was offered a job with them. Uh, and I, I was interested in all of that because I was not interested in going to Vietnam, and the draft was coming after me. I just didn't didn't believe that I that I needed to go off and kill uh, Vietnamese people or be killed by them. I didn't I didn't see the point. And good thing. Then I was uh, intrigued by a Peace Corps recruiter who I heard speaking at at, at one day at the college that I was attending. And uh, I was really interested. I'd always been interested in the Amazon. I grew up very interested in indigenous people. Uh, uh, and uh, so I went back to the NSA and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm also interested in the Peace Corps, and that's draft deferable, too. And they very much encouraged me. They said, you know, you'll learn another language. You'll learn survival techniques. We'll help you get in. We'll make sure you get to the Amazon if that's where you want to go, because that would be an incredible experience 
then later you can come back and work for us. But they said you may not actually end up working directly for a national security agency. You may end up working for a private corporation because a lot of our information, a lot of what we do comes through private corporations. Yes, well, actually, that's – in fact, if you read uh, the uh, Confessions of an Economic Hit Man by John Perkins, he's on the line with us. And by the way, John, in reading Touching the Jaguar, your new book, you have – it's sad, hilarious – uh, that you were sent deep into the Amazon, right near the Kofan uh, native uh, group, but uh, a, a group about 100 miles away. And um, they sent you in. The Peace Corps sent you in. Um, they they taught you Spanish, and then they sent you in with your wife to uh, set up credit unions and uh, savings uh, cooperatives. And tell me how that went. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. So they sent me into a schwa community. Nobody there speaks Spanish. They taught me Spanish, not schwa, but the schwa speaks schwa. And uh, and I, I get there, and I find you know the only person who can speak any Spanish is a school teacher who's, who's from the Andes. And I say, well, here I am to help you form your credit and savings co-op. And he looks at me like, are you crazy? We don't have any currency here. There's no money. It's all bartered. It's your bananas for my papayas. So, you know, the... <laughs> My first experience with U.S. government work was that it, it teaches you a language and then sends you to a place where nobody speaks the language. And my second experience was it teaches you or it trains you in a skill that has no applicability to the place where they send you. In any case, I, I did learn a lot by living there in the jungle with these people. And so you I didn't, you didn't teach it, much, but you learned a lot. So tell me what you learned. I mean, that, that's a lot. I know you have about five books on what you learned in the Amazon, but so I'm not asking yeah. you to do it in five sentences. More than anything, I learned that how these people relate to nature, how they feel that they are a part of nature. And I'd grown up, you know, my, our society teaches us that we are apart from nature. We are the conquerors of nature. We control nature. Uh, the, the indigenous people don't, don't labor under any such d- 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 illusions. They know that that human beings are a part of nature, and when we start to feel that we're apart from nature, we get into trouble, which, of course, is what's happening now with climate change and species extinction, and exactly what we're talking about with Steve Donzinger and this whole oil thing. And incidentally, it was just in 1968 that that Texaco was getting a foothold in Ecuador. This was the beginning. It was a couple of years before before that they they discovered that, that, that there was a lot of oil in the Ecuadorian Amazon. In 1968, when I came in as a Peace Corps volunteer to Ecuador, the newspapers, the politicians, everybody was so enthusiastic because this was an extremely poor country. Ecuador was really living in the dark ages at that time. It was a very, very medieval uh, culture and society all over. The economy was medieval, I should say. And it was very, very poor. And so Texaco promised that they were going to make Ecuador rich. Well, of course... That never happened. Nope. Ecuador had a contract with with, with uh, uh, Texaco, whereby Texaco would pay a share of its profits from its oil in Ecuador to the Ecuadorian people. But Texaco set up a system whereby none of the profits went to Texaco Ecuador. They went to Texaco Latin America and other subsidiaries. So on paper, Texaco Ecuador never made any profits. So it never had to give any money to the Ecuadorian people. And worse than that, or on top of that, it causes incredible, terrible pollution. It's something like nobody's ever seen. You mentioned earlier, Greg, the, the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. 
Well, what's happened in Ecuador? 16 billion gallons that the Texco has admitted to. Probably a lot more than that. They've admitted to 16 billion gallons of oil. Billion. That's, that's 80 times the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. 80 times. And yet, BP has paid roughly $40 billion in fines and cleanup expenses uh, as a result. They have paid out that money, about $40 billion. It's, it's probably bigger than that now. Uh, while Texaco has refused to pay the $9.5 billion. They haven't paid a penny. They haven't paid no, a penny. Yeah, I talked to, I remember, I, just so people should know that if you want to hear Chevron's side of the story, go to gregpalace.com, watch the report I did for BBC and, um, and, uh, the, uh, and Democracy Now! And, and they have not paid a penny. And I said, so you have nothing because they pulled out, they snuck out all their assets out of Ecuador. And I said, so all you have left is this desk. He says, we don't even own this desk. <laughs> I, I kid you not, the guy was laughing when I showed him the technical reports from doctors saying that there's an epidemic of leukemia caused by their oil sludge. They were laughing. I kid you not. Um, so, and by the way, when you went there in 68, there was actually a shooting war over the oil with the, between the, uh, the government protecting Texaco's interests and the COFAN, if I remember. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't just the COFAN. Some of the Schwa and the Achua and the Quechua and others sided with the COFAN. And, uh, yeah, they were trying to keep the oil companies out. There was no, no question that there was, there was violence. Uh, that was pretty much covered up, and it was portrayed in, in Ecuadorian newspapers as these savages from the Amazon attacking these poor defenseless oil company people. So at the time, the country was very, very supportive of Texaco and the, and the government. The, let's say the government was, and the government pretty much controlled the press. We, there was a long history of military dictatorship in, in Ecuador, and that military dictatorship, as I write about in my books, was, was put into place pretty much by the CIA and defended by the CIA. So the United States was playing a large role in uh, the government of Ecuador, and Texaco was taking tremendous advantage of that and promising that they were going to make the country wealthy, they were going to bring it out of poverty. Uh, and they did exactly the opposite. You know, it's, it's, it's a travesty. And what we're seeing now with Steve Donzinger's trial is it, it, if it's, you know, if it's got any positive sides at all, Greg, it's that it's showing up our, our judicial system for being uh, corrupt. There's no other way to de- define it, uh, that, that, that it is controlled by big corporations, at least in this particular case. The ability is there for big corporations to control the justice the system and to control judges. I don't know, you know, when I say corrupt, I don't know whether there's any bribes exchanged. I don't know what that all is. Well, keep in mind that these are, let me just interrupt here. By the way, we're talking to John Perkins, uh, who is the author of the runaway bestseller, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. His latest book is Touching the Jaguar, which I got to tell you, if you, if it's, it's the next step beyond Confessions of an Economic Hitman. It's an astonishing and, and just lovely book to read. And at times terrifying and funny at the same time. And it talks about um, John Perkins' time in Ecuador. So you know Steve Donziger, by the way. Is that correct? I've known Steve for many years, yes. He, as you called him a hero earlier. He certainly is a hero in my estimation. He's a, he's a David up against a Goliath. Uh, and uh, incredible fortitude and courage. And, and he's made huge sacrifices 
to try to do the right thing and to make this uh, justice system work. You know, he's a he's a lawyer, as you point out, a Harvard-trained lawyer. He he wants to believe in the justice system and he wants to make it work, but. Uh, what we're seeing here is a, is a travesty of that system. See, again, New York being part of the third world where the oil companies basically pick the judges. Literally, again, Steve Donziger and go to freedonziger.com to get more information or gregpalace.com to see the reports directly from Ecuador. Uh, he's going to be sentenced on Friday for the first time in American history, a prosecution by Chevron's lawyers, a corporate prosecution of a U.S. citizens never happened before, and the first time ever that a human rights lawyer, or any lawyer actually, has been uh, facing a, a six-month sentence uh, in federal prison and has already served two years under house arrest. This has never happened, but understand how deep these connections are. And by the way, these are Trump justices, or I should say injustices. Though I have to say, here's a question for you, John Perkins. Where is Merrick Garland, the so-called uh, pro-human rights attorney general under Joe Biden? You know, uh, believe it or not, I, I've heard that Donald Trump is no longer president. So why isn't the Justice Department stepping in and saying, no, no, sorry, this is our case. This is not Chevron's case. And uh, let this man go. Where is the Biden administration on this? And what, what, is your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I can't answer that question. It, it is, it's mystifying. I think the only the only answer is that that Texaco Chevron, which now owns Texaco, and the oil companies in general are incredibly powerful, and they contribute a lot of money to both Democrats and Republicans. And and our system is so so owned by big corporations. You know, I think Craig, we have to understand that this is not uh, just about Chevron and Texaco. This is about the oil industry. Every oil company out there wants. Chevron to stick with this and to prosecute, and, and they, they, they want Stephen to lose because they're afraid that if he wins, other lawyers are going to do the same thing to them, whether they're Shell or Exxon or whatever. whatever they're, they're all afraid that this, that if Stephen should, get, should make it through this process and win, there will be a landslide as something similar to what happened in the tobacco industry years ago. And it goes beyond the oil industry. It goes to all big international corporations that say, you know, we can't allow American uh, lawyers uh, to win these kinds of cases. And I should Uh, note, by the way, that um, I also, when I was in Ecuador covering for BBC and Democracy Now!, I interviewed two presidents of Ecuador, Alfredo Palacio and Rafael Correa. And, um, you know, so uh, Alfredo Palacio was asking for relief from – horrific austerity measures imposed on Ecuador by the World Bank and the big bankers who really had um, Ecuador by the bonds. And he was saying, and uh, Alfredo Palacio, President Alfredo Palacio, um, was a uh, was a, a heart doctor, or is a heart doctor. And he said, you know, I know from my patients, if you kill the patient, you can't get much money from them. And that's what they're doing to us. And he stood up for the COFAN, and then he was replaced by his finance minister, Rafael Correa, who told me all we want is justice. He says, I'm not taking the side of the COFAN or anything. I'm taking the side of Ecuador. And they've won a judgment. If justice means anything, the World Bank and the World Court should be telling Chevron, pay this money to the – not just pay the money, almost all the money people should understand that was won by Stephen Donziger for the COFAN 
and the indigenous people in the uh, Ecuador and Amazon is to just clean up the mess. As you said, $40 billion has already been spent on the cleanup in the Gulf. It ain't enough. But $9 billion to clean up at least some of the Amazon. And they've paid none. So, yes, and but here's the thing. Chevron and the U.S. industry, in the case of – imagine this. Alfredo Palacio is trying to bargain against Chevron – with a secretary of state named Condoleezza Rice. He flew to Washington and met with Condoleezza Rice. Excuse me, Chevron had a tanker, an oil tanker um, named the Condoleezza after their board member, Chevron board member, Condoleezza Rice. So literally, she was not only on the payroll, but she was the first secretary of state who could carry 30 million gallons of crude oil. So this is who Ecuador had to face down. They weren't talking to the government. They were to the U.S. government. They were talking to Chevron. We are as much controlled by Chevron as Ecuador. But in Ecuador, they know it. And they, and they worked very hard and successfully got Rafael Correa removed as president of Ecuador. In fact, he's, uh, you know, they, they're going after him too, trying to put him in jail as well. So he's been living uh, in uh, Belgium. So um, – Tell me a little more, John Perkins, uh, who, again, we're talking to John Perkins, uh, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and his latest book, astonishing book, Touching the Jaguar, uh, about his, uh, which includes his time in uh, Ecuador. And so uh, tell me what else you know about the situation in Ecuador. I know you've been going back several times. What, have you been in the areas affected by the oil? Well, yes, and I, I I go every year. I I didn't go this last year because of COVID, but I go I go every year. I'm I'm a co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance and founder of Dream Change, and 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 I'm involved in a number of organizations that work with indigenous people. And uh, you know, it's 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 terrible. Uh, this whole section of of Ecuador, known as the Oriente, the East, because it's east of the Andes. Uh, is the huge Amazon basin, which is also called the sacred headwaters of the Amazon. It provides all the waters, along with some some of the areas of Peru that that flow that become the Amazon River, which carries more water than the next five largest rivers in the world combined. And it's it's incredibly that whole area of the Amazon rainforest is roughly the size of the continental United States. Without it, we're not going to survive, you know, because of what it produces in terms of oxygen and, and bio life and so many other things. It's incredibly important. It's an essential part of our planet, and it's being violently attacked. Chevron is one example. We've now got Chinese and Canadian mining companies going in and, and, and creating havoc, havoc, havoc there also. And what I think we need to understand is that, that the world needs to come to, uh, to, to a realization that we need to take responsibility here because we've got countries that are very, very poor, uh, Ecuador, Peru, parts of Colombia, but there's a lot of tremendous poverty. And the only way that those countries feel they can solve their poverty, they can provide better education, health care, and other social services to their people is by exploiting these resources in this extremely fragile area. And it, this is an area that's important to the world. So at some point, we need to realize that it's not altruism to come in and try to help these countries. It's our own preservation that we're looking at. 
Well, we did uh, take the, you know, let's let's remember, you know, when you say they're impoverished, they're actually quite rich. They're floating on oil, Ecuador. And um, but they didn't get the benefit as uh, the, again, we're talking to John uh, Perkins and um, they didn't they have the oil. We right. we sucked out. Uh, God knows how many millions of gallons of oil out of Ecuador, and uh, but they never got the value until, right. by the way, uh, Alfredo Palacio and then Rafael Correo kicked Chevron Texaco out of Ecuador and said, "No, no, you, you know, you guys have been sucking up our oil, poisoning our people, and we don't see any money. All we get is the body count, and they threw them out, and therefore." They then used their powers with the United States government, with with uh, the um, crude oil tanker Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice to remove to remove the elected presidents of Ecuador and replace them with oil company stooges, which is what you have right now. Uh, again, we are talking about the case of Stephen Donziger, who will be sentenced on Friday in New York. I will be there covering for a reality check and. Pacifica and um, KPFK Radio. You're listening to KPFK. This is Greg Palace sitting in for Kerry Harrison. Reality check 90.7 FM on your dial in Los Angeles. And we are talking with John Perkins, author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman and now Touching the Jaguar. So what do we do next, John? You've been uh, on this case, both uh, the the issue of oil, the issue of uh, the National Security Agency, which is you know which is an agency bigger than the CIA, our spy agency. You've been on top of this story and the politics, and also what we can learn, what we can take from the Kofan and the Schwar, other than their oil. So tell us a little bit about what we get from the Schwar besides their oil. Well, I I, I think we you know they helped us understand that we must see ourselves as a part of nature, not apart from that. We, you know, the, the, the coronavirus has taught us perhaps something that the other aspects of climate change, like all the hurricanes and fires and so on, haven't, we, we tend to see those as local events. Uh, the virus has shown us that it, it's global, that, you know, the, nature is speaking to us. The, our planet is speaking to us. That we must move away from this economic system that's so dependent on maximizing short-term materialistic gains, maximizing short-term profits for corporations, maximizing short-term consumption for us as consumers. And it's a, it's a system that's creating what we can call a death economy, an economic system that ultimately is, is consuming itself into extinction. And mm-hmm. the oil obsession that we have uh, has really pointed this out to us, that we need to move into an economic uh, system that we could call a life economy that pays people to clean up pollution. Let's pay people. Let's use that money from Texaco to, to pay people in Ecuador to clean up the pollution. Well, that's exactly. Job. So, John Perkins, that's exactly what Steve Donziger did do. He sued successfully and got the money to clean up the Amazon, to give it to the to the indigenous people there to lead the cleanup themselves of their own lands. Remember, when we talk about... Um, global warming and fossil fuels endangering our future, it's right now in the Amazon. So again, uh, this is we've been talking about human rights lawyer Stephen Donziger facing uh, uh, a sentence to, to federal prison on Friday. We'll be covering 
that. And we are talking with John Perkins, author of uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and his latest touching the Jaguar. I want you to read that book. It's really important. And this is Greg Pallast. And this has been Reality Check, sitting in for Carrie Harrison. And I will see you, or you'll hear from me, next Tuesday. And uh, maybe Carrie will be back by that time, and they'll let him out of Germany. Um, Again, thank you so much. This is Greg Pallast with Reality Check. Preventing truth decay. Harrison's Reality Check. GoHarrison.com.